I couldn't wait to leave yeshiva because there was so much to do. It was so exciting. People were doing amazing things, Chabad houses. Finally, after we were married, I asked the Rebbe where I should go, and the Rebbe chose Minnesota. Minnesota. Welcome to the Ideas That Change the World podcast with Rabbi Manus Friedman, where we make sure your life will be changed for the better, one idea at a time. Rabbi Friedman is the number one voice of clarity on moral and social issues. So what are we waiting for? Let's go change the world. But I want to tell you a little more of a personal experience. I couldn't wait to leave yeshiva because there was so much to do. It was so exciting. People were doing amazing things, Chabad houses. Finally, after we were married, I asked the Rebbe where I should go, and the Rebbe chose Minnesota. Minnesota. The shliach who was already there came to Brooklyn looking for somebody to help him out. And he brought these beautiful 8 by 10 pictures of his activities and his Chabad house, and they were all taken in the summer. I had no idea. My father spent some time in Siberia. I didn't know that the weather in Minnesota comes directly from Siberia. It caught up with me. <laughs> but anyway, the Rebbe chose Minnesota. We came to Minnesota, we started this program called Beis Chana, a crash course on Judaism for women. Because there were yeshivas for men starting as adults in their Jewish education, but there was nothing for women. So we figured, eh, what the heck, let's start something for women. And this is like the early 70s, when the place, the country was crazy. It was like the leftovers of the 60s. It was wild. It was crazy times. So we didn't ask anybody. We didn't do any research, nothing. We said, let's make a place for women. We sent out flyers to campuses in the Midwest. Come. We had no plan. We had nothing. 18 women showed up. And we thought, you know, they'll do a little sightseeing in the morning. They'll do a little shopping in the afternoon. And in the evening, we'll have a class for an hour or two, and we'll learn something. These women walked in in military boots. They were the radical students of the 60s who were frustrated that they weren't able to stop the Vietnam War and they tried to change campuses, burn down campuses. These were the Hever. They were not going to go shopping and they were not going to go sightseeing. They wanted answers. It turned out that I end up teaching, which I didn't plan on doing, morning to morning. We would start 9 o'clock in the morning and we would sit until 8 o'clock in the morning. 
night after night, day after day, they were, they were, in, they, they wouldn't stop. They wanted answers. And mainly they wanted an answer to the question of what is the purpose of life? They wanted to get right to the heavy duty, right? The next year, without advertising, the next summer, 42 women show up. We just figured, this is good, let's make a winter program. 102 women show up. And it's been going on ever since. But we really didn't know what we were doing. One woman came in the early 70s. She was sitting in class. The air conditioner was blowing like here, but she was sweating. Every, every class, she would sit there and sweat. And the room is cold. I had no idea. She was having withdrawal symptoms. She was an alcoholic. And she came to the program determined to, to, uh, to stop drinking. But as she was sitting there, she was going through withdrawal symptoms. So it lasted about 10 days. And then she couldn't do it anymore. And she went out and got drunk. She came back and was so uh, upset with herself that she slit her wrists. Sitting in the hallway, luckily somebody had to, happened to walk by and we rushed her off to the hospital and she was okay. But now we realized we are so irresponsible. We, like, do we have insurance? Are we supposed to have insurance? What if somebody got sick from the food we fed them? Like all of a sudden, all these legal issues that we never even thought of. And then we had the question of, what should we do? This woman wanted to stay and, and, and become observant, and her family back home was not observant. What do we do? Send her home? Keep her here? What do we do? We call the Rebbe's office. And we dictate the whole story. And within an hour, we get an answer from the Rebbe. The answer was, Shaykh Lehoireho. This pertains to her parents. We took that to mean send her home. So I go to the hospital where she was still recovering. And I said, um, we're going to get you a ticket and you'll uh, go home after you're ready to leave the hospital. She says, I can't go home. So why not? My parents are survivors. They're elderly. My father is very frail and he doesn't know that I have this problem. I cannot, I can't shock him like this. He thinks I'm the angel in the family. I thought, maybe she's exaggerating. I called the Chabad house in her town, and I said, do you know this family? The rabbi says, yes. I said, here's the problem. The daughter, whatever, can you tell the father that, her that his daughter is coming home? He said, I'm not going to tell him. He's frail. I said, oh. <laughs> so she's right. 
So, write to the Rebbe. Can't send her home because her father doesn't know and he'll... Dangerous to... to. We call the Rebbe's office for an answer and we're talking to the Rebbe's... Rabbi Chadakovr, the Rebbe's secretary, and the Rebbe picks up the extension. And we're telling Rabbi Chadakov that she can't go home because her father doesn't know. The Rebbe says on the phone, eight years and the father doesn't know? So we tried to explain. She, she, she stayed away, she stayed over. She, she kept it from him. And the Rebbe says, eight years and the father doesn't know? I say, okay, <laughs> we got the message. I go back to the hospital, I give her a dime, that's what it costs to make a long distance phone call. <laughs> I give it, I say, call your father and tell him you're coming home. This is directly from the Rebbe. She goes off to the phone booth and I'm standing and talking to her psychiatrist. 15 minutes later she comes back and she's beaming She's shining. The psychiatrist was like, whoa, what is this? She says, he knew. He knew. She was 50% cured. She called her father, said that she has this problem, and her father said, I know. But I, I don't know how to handle this. I don't know. If the rabbis in Minnesota will take care of you, I'll, I'll, set, I'll cover all the bills, stay there, and get well. So she stayed. I went to pick her up when she was ready to be discharged. And again, I'm talking to the psychiatrist. And he says, at our last session, she remembered the first time she got drunk. She was 14 at a friend's house. At some point during the night, she said, I'm going home. And the friend said, don't go home like this. Sleep over and you'll go home when you're sober. She insisted on going home. She comes home. She lets herself in the front door and she trips. This is how she's telling the story. She tripped on the metal umbrella stand in the, in, the, in the hallway. It fell on the tile floors, made a huge racket, woke her parents up. The psychiatrist said to her, you tripped? And she thought for a moment and she said, no, I kicked it over. I wanted my parents to know that I was in trouble. The parents came to the top of the stairs, looked down at her and saw that she was okay, and they went back to sleep. And that's why she was convinced that her parents don't know. Now we realized that we hadn't understood the Rebbe's answer. When we first wrote in, the Rebbe said it pertains to her parents, not send her home. The problem is between her and the parents. So we call the Rebbe back and say she can't go home. The father doesn't know. So the Rebbe says the father doesn't know. 
Isn't that the problem? Eight years she's suffering alone and her father doesn't know? When she made that phone call and discovered that her father did know, that was it. Her problem was 90% solved. She eventually, she stayed a year in Minnesota. She eventually went home. She got married. The moral of the story is, this is true of everybody. Almost every one of our aches and pains, our worries, our anxieties, our depressions, is because we think that our father doesn't know. It's not good. To think that your father doesn't know undermines your health. It undermines your place in the world, your mission, your purpose, everything. The Rebbe's message was, what do you mean a father doesn't know? Of course your father knows. Your father in heaven knows. He knows, and that means he cares. So what are you worried about? What are you worried about? Our father knows. We have a Sunday night program for VIPs that you might be interested in. It's informal. It's questions and answers. It's conversation. It's really relaxed. It's really pleasant, enjoyable, informative, and uh, kind of community-like. It's a Sunday night program. There's a um, Wednesday morning program for the VIPs, and there's a Wednesday night program. All of it just conversation, casual, laid back, unscripted. So join us. Take a look. Click uh, the link below and see which, which of the three suits you best. And join us for some enjoyable conversation.